0: Calcutta is only nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. See the congestion of this city. I I remember asking Mark, what can a young couple do in this congested city? And I remember him saying, we can't, but God can. We started in a tent, bare piece of ground, and I'll never forget a beggar walked into our tent service, and in the middle of Mark's message, he screamed out these words, preacher, feed our bellies, and then try to tell us there's a God in heaven that loves us. He realized at that point, we could not reach people lying on the streets of Calcutta and the poor and the poverty-stricken in this huge city unless we had compassionate ministries. And so we started a feeding program but it was at that time that Mother Teresa got to know about us and our interests in the feeding program and she took us to the major garbage dump in Calcutta where all the garbage is thrown every day and burned every hour. And when we saw children jumping into the garbage for anything they may recycle or food to eat, our hearts broke and we said, no, we have to do something about this. We realized that there were so many poor children without education. We raised the money for the school, came back and built the school. And then we started going up class by class
1: to the different sections of the school, grade by grade by grade. Pastor Mrs. Buntain had always had a special place for underprivileged children and the poor of the city. So we've always had, also with us, children who came from very poor homes but nobody knew who they were because everyone was treated the same. Everything got too small. We um,
0: we just had to get larger land. We searched and searched and couldn't find any land. And so finally one day Mark came home very excited and said, I've found the land, an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. And so we were able to get this huge piece of land, four blocks square on Park Street. Our hospital was the first building that we constructed at Park Street property. And um, Mark was able to raise money just for the foundation and the first floor. But he always felt when he had the money to go ahead and God would supply the rest which used to worry me a lot. In fact, I would tease him, say, he has the faith and I have the ulcers, because I did the accounts. But when we dug the foundation, we ran into a lake, Calcutta being so low, I think below sea level almost. And when we saw that water, the construction company Said, you'll need pilings under this building. And it's going to be a six-storied building, so we have to have a lot of pilings. We didn't have the money for the pilings at all. So Mark took a little Bible out of his pocket. He always carried a little Bible in the back of his pocket when he test- would witness to anybody who'd open the Bible and he asked them for a rope, and he tied the rope around the Bible. And the staff that we had at that time all held hands around the water. And I thought, what in the world is he gonna do? And I think everybody else thought that also. And he let the rope down with the Bible into the water and said, now all of us pray together, of course he led in prayer, that the water will recede into the ground so we can build our hospital because God wants us to treat the sick in this hospital because it'll be the greatest arm of evangelism that we have. And immediately the water started to go down, 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 it took some time I'll tell you, those builders, the contractor's eyes were like saucers, watching that water go down. And today, our basement in our hospital is the driest basement of any of the buildings surrounding our hospital.
2: After the hospital was finished, Dad had a tendency to um, pick up anybody he thought needed a hospital bed. It kind of drove some of the doctors crazy. But, one time he picked up a person who he knew he was going to die and he brought him into the hospital and he i remember he just said i know he's going to die and in fact one of the doctors said pastor why are you bringing us a dead man and he said well if nothing else i want him to know that somebody loves him and he dies between clean sheets and so he they brought him in they cleaned him up they put him in bed and uh, Dad was talking to him about Jesus and saying something, you know, to him that, you know, that Jesus loves him. And in this particular situation, you know, this gentleman was obviously passing away, and he would say to him, You need to love Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. And he looked up at him and he said, Are you Jesus? He had never heard. He didn't even know. You know, so he got an opportunity
1: to share to him who Jesus was so they reflected christ in everything that they did it was not uh, just a show it was very genuine and uh, the compassion the genuine love that they had for people was so outstanding uh, that i used to um, often tell them you know that i have not seen jesus but i have i can tell you i've definitely seen him in your lives
3: when pastor Buntain was snatched away fairly very suddenly and the mantle of leadership fell upon sister halda it was a huge burden upon her not just because she had to pick up Uh, the unfinished projects uh, that Pastor Bantane had, Pastor Mark had uh, initiated, but in a culture where uh, women are not given prominence. And in fact, at the time when she assumed leadership, there were very few, if any, women in India who were in ministry, and there was not even one lady who was ordained uh, to, to, to pastor, So she was the first woman of any nationality to be ordained as a pastor in the nation of India. And so it was quite an uphill challenge for her. But with time, as people began to see the anointing of God upon her life and the effectiveness of the way God used her, people began to accept her leadership. And Hilda Buntain has been the backbone of all of this work. Uh, Mark Buntain passed away in 1989 and the world around us thought that the work would collapse and would stop and took a woman of God, a lady, who took one day at a time and has perhaps achieved much more in the last 15-20 years than has been achieved in the previous uh, stint. And today we talk about 200 plus schools or 700 churches. I, I think this has been done because of relentless pursuit of Halda Mantain, who's been able to really walk the road and keep still walking the road on behalf of the mission.
0: And so, you know, I look back 58 years and I think there was a time when a group of ministers came through here from Manila, they had held a big crusade in Manila. They took us out for dinner, told us how foolish we were to remain in Calcutta. They said, you know, you were promising a young evangelist in your country and you're here in this dirty, filthy city. I mean, you're just burying yourself in this city and you'll never be heard of again. I can remember those words so distinctly. You'll never be heard of again. And going home, I said to Mark, do you think that they're right? And I remember him saying, who brought us here? And I said, well, God brought us here. And he said, well, we'll leave when God tells us to. (music) Thank <music> you. I can say is to God be the glory great things he has done not a tribute to us but I think it gives God's plan that we come at that time The poorest city in the world, nine miles long, four miles wide, with twenty-two million people. But you know, there's one scripture in God's word, and I love it this morning. When I'm home from India, speaking every weekend in churches, I share this scripture. Proverbs three twenty-seven: Withhold not good, from them who deserve it when it is in the power of your hand to do it. You know, many people think missionaries are celebrities. I've got news for you, Renan. You not. Know. Everything you saw on that screen this morning would not have been possible if it hadn't been for churches like yours who support our mission month by month by month, special offerings. We have our hospital and all of our churches because of faithful givers like you. I tell you, we started in a tent. Aha, you saw it on the screen. Bare piece of ground. Mark and I were invited to go to India for one year of evangelistic ministries. And I'll never forget the last Sunday we were in New York ready to board the ship. You know, in those days, missionaries took the boat, first class, second class, and missionary class. And we were in the hull of the ship. But before we boarded that ship, Mark preached in Glad Tidings in downtown New York. Pastor's wife was asked to close in prayer. She prayed a very strange prayer. She said, God, make this young couple a blessing to India for years to come. And she dug out the years. I said to Mark going home, what does she mean? Years to come. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're only going for one year, aren't we? But God had a plan and a purpose in our lives. And we started in the tent, bare piece of ground, night after night. And then the monsoon rains came, we couldn't stay in the tent any longer, went to an upstairs hall. And they laughed at us because there was a nightclub underneath. They said, hell downstairs and heaven upstairs. And it was, but it was time to build a church. No church had been built in Calcutta in 100 years. And the only property available was the property we had held the tent owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't gonna sell. But prayer changes things. One day that old Muslim gentleman said to Mark, I don't know why I'm doing this preacher, I'm gonna sell you the land. 1959, Christmas Sunday, the first church was built in Calcutta in 100 years. And it was the Assembly of God Church. But that church got too small. School got too small. We had to find something larger. And as you heard on the screen, Mark found an old cemetery. I was amazed when he said a cemetery. I said, I don't think the burial board will give you a cemetery. He said, no, they won't, but God will. And in Calcutta so much ahead of us in time. Services were already over. You know, every state in India has a different language. And they come to Calcutta to work. We took a survey of the eight most important languages and today in Calcutta, on a Sunday, eight different language groups are worshiping and praising God in different services. And today, that cemetery isn't dead anymore, I want you to know. That over 5,000 people are worshiping and praising God. And so that is why I say impossible is God's favorite word. But you know, as we started to work in Calcutta, James chapter 2 became alive to us. How can you tell anyone that God loves them when they have nothing to eat, no clothes to wear, no comfort on this life? Can you tell a man lying on the streets of Calcutta, as thousands do? God loves you, he'll turn around and tell you, no one loves us or we wouldn't be here. And so we know we had to do something about it. We started our first school with only 230 students. Recently, we had our 50th anniversary. Now in 11 states, we have 32,000 children, precious children. I called them a little evangelist because they bring their parents to church. And the governor was our chief guest. And you know what he said? He said, the Assembly of God Church School has changed the face of Calcutta because of social justice and moral instruction. Social justice? We were called a slum school because we took poor children now social justice meant that we take poor children. And moral instruction, we have chapel services every morning. And the alumni gathered together at that 50th anniversary. And uh, you know, I was so impressed. They said we may forget all of the academic studies we learned, but we'll never forget, never forget the chapel services because they changed our lives. That's the main thing, isn't it? Changing lives of children. And then a feeding program, hunger. Oh, dear ones, I can't explain to you. 1,000, 1 million children sleep on the streets of Calcutta, lining up every day in our feeding programs. 25,000 in our school and street feeding programs. And how feed them on the back table in the foyer. I have two books, Woman of Courage and Pathway to the Impossible. Now, if I was going to tell you 61 years of miracles in Calcutta, then you wouldn't have the second service today. But if you want a miracle in your life, I urge you to read the book. But more than that, one book for $12 feeds a child for 12 days. And I depend on our books every weekend because, dear ones, buy those books. Not only buy the books, but pray for the child and the family you're feeding. For everything we do, whether it is to feed a child, to educate a child, it is to win that family for Jesus Christ. And then our hospital. What an arm of evangelism. Five chaplains. Going from bed to bed every single day. I am so thankful when I go in the hospital to see different ones. Cleft palates. One out of every 700 children born with a cleft palate. Blind children. We have a blind home. I was in the hospital one day when five of them were operated on. I said to the doctor, will they see? She said, some better than others. When the bandages were taken off their eyes, they looked up at lights for the first time. Butty, butty, butty. Hindi light. butti, butti. And they loved the song Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. We held hands that day and sang that beautiful song. I once was blind, but now I see. Mother Teresa was a lovely little lady. Brought all our patients to our hospital. I was in the hospital one day before she took very ill. She said something I'll never forget. She said, It's not how much you do, but how much love you put in the doing that counts. And I said, Mother, if we don't put Jesus' love in our doing, all our work is in vain. She said, That's what I mean. Then she took my hand in her 87 year old hand. She opened my fingers one by one. And she said, when you give to the poor, you do it unto Christ. Dear ones, when you sign that faith promise, you use your hand. When you give your offering, you use your hand. I want you to know, you may never see the ones that you're helping, but you are doing it unto Christ. Seven of the states of the 11 states are in in northeast India. They look more oriental than they do Indian. I went up there for a pastor's conference. Our general superintendent, a graduate from our Bible school in Calcutta, I'm going to take you, Auntie, to somewhere you've never been before, took me to the largest cemetery in the Eastern world, World War II when the Japanese were coming over from Burma. They wanted those seven states. And as I walked in the cemetery, there was a large arch that read, Go home and tell them. We gave our today for their tomorrow. I read those words. I said, God, almost 60 years now, we've been in India. We've given thousands and thousands and thousands, not only a today, but a tomorrow. Then I thought of a grave in Calcutta, Mark died so suddenly. Culture is you stand by the grave until it's full. And I said, God, we've been here 35 years. We only came for one year. 35 should be enough. Have you ever argued with God? I did that day. Didn't understand. But I'll be glad. I'm so glad that our worship team started to sing that song. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. I said, God, I will stay. And in the past 26 years, oh, I can't tell you. I tell you all day what God has done in the 11 states in Calcutta. But we're living in a changing world. Investments are here today, gone tomorrow. But you know something? When you invest in the kingdom of God, it gives the best dividends. You know why? Money is the currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. Faith is currency of God. When you invest in lives, you know I often get asked, What is your best accomplishment? The the time you've been in Calcutta, I unhesitatingly say, investment in lives. Buildings crumble, but investment in lives go on for eternity. Let me tell you before I close. I fly so much, I had something wrong with my ear. Went into our hospital, said to the nurse, I want to see an ENT specialist. She said, oh, we have a good one. A very good one. A new one. Went down to his office, knocked on his door. Dr. Batataria, I want you to meet the president of our mission. He got up from his chair, and he said, I don't have to meet you, Andy. I met you when I was seven years of age. My father brought my little brother five and me to you. For education. You put me in school. Then I remembered. I said, are you Sabosh?" He said, yes, I am. I said, tell me, Sabosh." Well, he said, you know, I graduated from your high school. I went to your junior college. I prayed that God would help me to get into medical school. And then I prayed God help me to pass these subjects so I can go back to that hospital to treat the poor. I said, "Sabosh." They're lined up outside your door in the outpatients department. When you treat a child, do you think of yourself, oh yes, auntie every single day? That's only one illustration of investment in lives. On the table at the back, Heather will have sponsorship forms. You saw the CEO of our hospital sponsored child. The lady the screen this morning dying of tuberculosis healed by the power of god and a sponsored child that is the investment in lives a sponsorship what do you do with a little over a dollar a day what do you do with a little over a dollar a day do you think at this christmas time you could sponsor a child and invest in a child you know Doing does not count unless love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. You have to do something about it when you love Jesus. Thank you and God bless you. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook,
1: Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can always go to LifeChurchUtah.com.